0: Hey, gang, welcome back to Artist Avenue. Uh, Once again, I teamed up with the Kubert School to bring you a truly amazing guest. They had the beautiful fortune of having Mr. Frank Miller come into the school and do a little interview for the uh, student body. So please just sit back and enjoy.
1: All right, what's going on, everybody? It's Lloyd Briggery, the events coordinator from the Kubert School, and this is another exciting episode of Behind the Tracing Paper. Today, we are honored with the presence of Frank Miller. Sit back, relax, and enjoy.
2: Uh, we are storytellers. Right. We are entertainers. Mm-hmm. Commercial art sells something besides itself. We simply right. sell our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did I first get here? How did I first visit here?
1: No, how did you, you get into the business? How oh, did I get into the business? Yes. Oh, I, I did
2: it the old-fashioned way. I, I begged. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: I, 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 I... Um, Moved to, to here when I was uh, when I was seventeen. Moved to Manhattan when I was seventeen years old, mm-hmm. and um, you know my, my father had been been a you know owning a small business, so he's an entrepreneur and had been an inspiration to me. And he um, he he drove me down here, um, and I got a uh, um, a tiny studio apartment in 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 Manhattan in Soho and uh, got odd jobs as a, as, a, as a very very bad carpenter okay, and um, and that kept me going while I pounded the pavement and, and bothered people and made appointments and and saw people with, with my with my stack of truly lousy drawings and um, Just kept bothering people until finally um, Joe Orlando who's still working at DC Comics uh-huh. came in and showed him my work and uh, really an amazing interview because several things happened at once. One was that I I was meeting one of the kindest men I'd ever meet in my life, Mm -hmm. who was proceeding to tell me that not only was I not good enough for DC Comics, I was not good enough for anywhere, and I never would be. Mm. But as this was happening, I I lived in a very righty little apartment. And my, my, uh, And I was a kid from Vermont, so my, my portfolio was actually believe it or not, held together by bailing and twine.
1: Oh,
2: and, wow. and unfortunately, it was a very righty very apartment that had very, very large cockroaches, water bugs. Oh. Well, as we were talking, one of the, one of these little pets of mine crawled out of my portfolio
1: <laughs>
2: oh. and into my lap. And I could do nothing but kind of cut my little friend during the interview as he squirmed and and desperately fought for his life and and, and jumped around in my hand as George Orlando was very politely informing me that I was no good and never would be. Oh my goodness. It was not the brightest day of my life. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh. Wow, that I think that might be the most unique story <laughs> we've heard so far up here. <laughs> now, um Neil Adams. He yes. was uh, he he kind of helped you out in the beginning. In many
2: ways, uh-huh. um, he um, um, Neil was was um, a great many things to me. He he uh, when I first showed up, mm-hmm. he just like Joe before before him, uh, only not as politely.
1: Yeah.
2: Told me that <laughs> I was absolutely no good and never would be, and and to go back to Vermont where I belonged, right, and 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 get a job pumping gas, and raise some kids. Um. Then he proceeded to become the most perfect mentor and teacher I could have dreamt of. Absolutely generous with his time, providing me with commercial um, artwork, storyboarding, storyboarding TV commercials, so I was able to stay alive in Manhattan. And uh, spending endless hours with me, seeing my latest efforts, and and and, and um, uh, putting tracing paper over them, correcting my compositions and giving me all these magnificent Neil Adams drawings <laughs> that he, he was producing before my very eyes right. uh, for me to study and to trace from and to, to learn how to tell a story. Right. Um, then one, one day, I kind of came in with a bunch of drawings and, and a bunch of pages I'd put together. And he said that I was officially not the worst <laughs> he ever seen. <laughs> And, 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 uh, and he made a phone call and got me a three-page job at Gold Key Comics doing a Twilight Zone comic.
1: Oh, wow, Twilight Zone. You beautiful.
2: will never find this comic. Uh. There were only four copies printed, and I burned them all. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that extreme. Uh-huh. But, um, but um, that was the very first job I got. Once I had that, I was established as someone who could be hired. Okay. And got, um, started getting a string of small... Um, horror and war comic jobs for DC Comics. Okay. Um, eventually got um, failing issues on things like John Carter, Warlord of Mars, right, and, and you know Spectacular Spider-Man, and, and, and so on. And uh, um, worked my way up to where Jim Shooter decided to to take a big chance and mm-hmm. me Daredevil War.
1: Now back then, um, just working from from DC to Marvel and going back and forth was a little bit easier than today. Um, what, what was that like? Where, I mean, was it the same? Like, you know, you see the same several guys, and then a couple months later, you guys all, like, rotate, or what?
2: You mean so who would work at which company? Yeah. not one like that at all. Mm-hmm. You, you, um, if you were, if the company decided you were any good, right. two things would happen. You start getting a living wage, mm-hmm. and you would be given a regular title draw. Okay. Um, and that happened with me, um, and Marvel on um, Daredevil. Right. Um, once that happened, you would sign an exclusive agreement, mm-hmm. fixed page rate, right. that would go up yearly. And of course, the the you know the conditions of employment were their absolute ownership over all the material, including the original artwork, mm-hmm. and uh, these, these unbelievable contracts that. No lawyer would ever approve because they actually would affect the rights of your heirs. Now I know of no contract that actually that actually dictates what unborn children can do, <laughs> but they prevented unborn children from ever suing them. Wow! Um, these these contracts were something that would really it would make a, a lawyer laugh for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, that was then, then. I was up and running and working. Yeah. It was, it was uh, and I was living my dream that's awesome um, so I, I must comment that's the only regular job I've ever been able
1: to hold oh wow that's really cool um, so did you like did you always want to be both writer and artist or is it just it's just story like whatever works for the story like you have that input or did you have an aspiration to be one or the other is
2: there one thing yeah. um, you know will Eisner once said it best when he said that that he always thought the writer and artist should work as closely together as possible, preferably sharing the same
1: body. That's really good. <laughs> I like that. I love Eisner quotes. So you you have this title, Daredevil. Um, and at the time, um, I, my understanding of it is Daredevil wasn't, um, he was not like an A-lister or uh, <laughs> in, in comicdom at all. Yeah. Um, what was it about that character that drew you to him?
2: Yeah, I mean first qu- part of the your comment then about your question. Mm-hmm. He was not an A-lister. He was not a B-lister mm-hmm. He was um There were two curses in comic books. Uh-huh. The first one is is when you when you, you know, another girl doesn't like you when you be when you go by bi- monthly Wow, and you know she really hates you when you're canceled He
1: mm-hmm. was yeah. bimonthly
2: monthly and he was he was on his last legs, right. but the papers were being written up mm-hmm. um, and and so They had nothing to lose, and Jim Shooter really liked the Spider-Man work I'd done, which had featured Daredevil, and uh, he was he was out to revamp that company. He was taking big chances, Mm -hmm. and he took a chance that that um, that really nobody thought I was ready for, and and he offered me Daredevil Mm -hmm. to draw, Um, and and uh, when and, and stood by me when when other people at Marvel didn't want to take that
1: chance, right now you and Jim shooter had a unique relationship mm-hmm. though, and uh, can you kind of speak to that just as far as like the the networking side or just being really just true to who you are and mm-hmm. and, and and you know as a creative person and, and wanting you know just standing up for a story that you just mm-hmm. want to tell
2: oh Jim, Jim and I Jim and I um I mean at the beginning Jim and I just had a fascinating very close relationship we we traveled around a great deal, got to know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, he taught me a terrific amount about what a story was and how to tell it. Um, being someone who had always wanted to draw himself, which made him the most dangerous kind of editor in the world. Um, but he also was able to teach a lot about visual storytelling. Right. His visual storytelling was all of the most conventional sort. It was all what you saw in the old Legion of Superhero comics that, that he wrote when he was at a very shockingly young age, I think 15. It wasn't illegal wow. to employ him when he first worked in comic books. That uh-huh. talented, um, but the thing is, is that he and I very quickly came to loggerheads and disagreed about everything, including <laughs> the shape of the planet. Um, <laughs> and he was, he was not. I mean, just say he was not progressive in thinking would be, would be, would be, a, a ridiculous understatement. Um, he is, is, he was blocked very much. In the um, habits, the um, and the the storytelling ways and everything of his own childhood, right. And so, so um, he and I just disagreed about everything. Also, he was very dedicated to comic books as children's form, mm-hmm. and I was most intense, uh, more than anything, to to start recognizing first off how old our audience actually was, right. But also to make it as damn older as I could, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And and so there was dynamic tension there. I think it made me do the best work I could at the time. Right. But when when push came to shove, we ended up getting in very serious and very public arguments, mm-hmm. and um, didn't part the best of friends.
1: Right. Understand. Understand. Um, so uh, can you just kind of speak to that also? Um, like in this business, it's not always going to be highs. going will be lows. Oh you yeah. Know? You got to keep trucking. Because uh, oh, yeah. we're all, you know, like I said, we're everyone here is like aspiring, um, and yeah. you know, everybody here struggles with that same mm-hmm. like I want to do it, like I got to do it, but I don't know if I can. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: Well, it's get ready. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not making any promises here. Mm-hmm. Not an easy publishing is not an easy business. Mm-hmm. It is, however, a very forgiving one. Mm-hmm. You can make mistakes. You can do a bad job. And you can get rejected and you could get but you know, get ready for being told that you know, prayer and get ready get ready to be discouraged by the best. Um, but but be prepared also to meet the most generous um, clients you could possibly have, the ones that will give you a million chances over and over, and for soon to be colleagues who will be equally generous in their time to to um to teach you and to learn from you. There was a cartoonist that founded the school, and while being unusually talented and unusually generous, unusually brilliant, in terms of character, he was not atypical of my field. It's a good field, it's got good people in it, and, they, and we will help you.
1: Ah, that's one to grow on, folks. <laughs> um, okay, so, so uh, back to Daredevil, I wanna talk about that. Um, because um after daredevil received your your signature um my goodness i mean it was uh he was he was elevated to the a list post you know or i mean during your during your time with him um what what was that like experiencing um that type of success
2: oh, it went straight to my head i've been unbearable ever since um <laughs> no it it was it was thrilling uh-huh. i was doing i was you know I was, I was getting to do the work I'd always done. I mean, I always I right. wanted to since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living in the city of my dreams.
1: Yeah.
2: And and uh, I was drawing Marvel comics. <laughs> I mean, how much more could I ask for? Yeah. Uh, so what can I say? But it was. It, these are. It, it's a good life. I, mm-hmm. I'd recommend it to anyone. I even,
1: I'd even consider going to school right <laughs> Now, um, did you ever receive any sort of artistic training at all? No. Any formal? Okay. None. Cool, cool. So it was all you just, you at mm. the table putting the time in and then getting feedback from, from people that. You yeah,
2: know, I would have come here.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's why we're all here. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, so um, uh, one thing that um, I think, you know, for people just tracking your success, is uh, you do a, uh, an amazing job I think of uh, really with not only the characters but uh, something unique I think is uh, with the, the cities that they all live mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Um, and the city itself the setting itself becomes mm-hmm. one of the characters yeah. and the characteristics mm-hmm. of the story can you talk a little bit about like that thought process yeah. of, of adding that.
2: I think we're talking blood. about one particular city oh. my stories tend to happen
1: uh-huh. in New
2: York <laughs> um uh-huh. I'm madly in love with New York
1: okay.
2: I, I have been since before I ever went there
1: mm-hmm.
2: i I uh, fell in love with it in old crime movies and particularly on the old Kojak TV series
1: right
2: and uh, i to to this day can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: I love everything about new york uh, and, and and uh it's, it, it's you know in, in many ways that me you know, the most important character in my story. Yeah, and you'll see many of my old way back to my my old gerbils. My, you know, he, he, flies along the skyline, and, and his his thought balloons are all the love letters of the city. Yeah, because I I use the fact that he could, you know, hear and smell better than anybody to to play up the most beautiful and worst aspects of the city. His sense of smell didn't help him a lot.
1: <laughs> no, not not in the neighborhood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, Okay, so I I do want to talk about crime a little bit uh, because um, I've read where you say uh, you've got to kind of sneak in the ability to uh, put a crime story into superhero stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, what what are the differences between the two that you would say?
2: Between crime comics and And superhero superhero comics?
1: comics. Because you have your good versus evil, but there are nuances, though.
2: Ain't no difference in my book. Um, if there's a crime, it doesn't matter whether the person fighting it is wearing tights or not. Right. Um, you know, it's certainly Batman fights crime, Daredevil does. Right. Pretty much, you know, certainly the, the ones who can't fly all do, mm-hmm. and most of the ones who fly can't. You know, why fight crime? It's
1: right.
2: If they're not fighting crime, why are they heroes?
1: Right. All right. That's a good, that's a good point.
2: That's a good oh, point. that's right. They can fight each other.
1: Uh-huh. yeah They can. <laughs> they definitely can. <laughs> In
2: which case it's worldwide. Best. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh it looks like um I would say just between Daredevil and um, you know, we're definitely gonna talk about Dark Knight. Um mm-hmm. but um I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about uh your love for uh Japanese comics mm. for for manga. Yeah. Um and Kind of how that opened the door to to you know the rest of america really seeing Uh like something really awesome is happening over there yeah what what was that like
2: well i I first came across um a manga um through through um a a a, uh through a a, i was married at the time and and the my then father-in-law showed me some some things he'd pick up during business and several of them there were these strange comic books that were thick as bone books and read backwards uh-huh. um and and they they uh, first I couldn't figure out what the hell they were right but all I could notice is the drawing was unspeakably brilliant and the storytelling was so fluid that that was uh, effortless I didn't need words once I figured out to read it backwards um, I was I was able to read entire stories and understand completely what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, they were epic stories, but told totally in epic terms. Kozu Akami, or Lone Wolf and Cub, yeah. Um is is um you know, is the most outstanding seminal work of a bunch. Mm-hmm. Because it, it really is a story where where you where you of the of a masterless samurai and you you see him from when he becomes masterless you're traveling as a master, uh, you know, to just traveling to so Ronin with the sun, mm-hmm. and you see the sun go from being in swaddling clothes to complete adolescent yes. as they go through endless adventures. Yeah. It taught me so much about storytelling. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and actually going to Japan and, and researching it there and, and meeting so many of the, the cartoonists there yeah and developing a library of, of their world of comics yeah. it was very different than ours. It includes some of the very best and some of, the most, some of the absolute worst garbage you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> I mean, just things that are so badly drawn, badly written, badly conceived that, I mean, these people just know no boundaries right. when it comes to their comic books. Everything you can imagine seeing in a movie theater or in a video store um, or um, or on your TV, picture it all, and then imagine an audience for it that is... Gigantic, and completely fervid, completely maniacal about it, and and that's how many comic books there are, and how uh, how they go from absolute brilliance to absolute drag. Wow, it's wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what did you what did you take from that uh, to to put into your into your um, endeavors? You know, as far as telling stories and, and even artistic influence.
0: Mm-hmm
2: artistically the, 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 like I said, with with Lo um, and with you know, with
1: Hiroshi
2: like Harata, um, <laughs> yeah. another um, geek artist, um, there was a great deal to learn from them, just in terms of drawing and how to draw it um, very expressively, um, and in such a way that conveyed uh, movement, mm-hmm. which is so important in.: a, so in important. Well, in a static form, yeah. A comic page just lies there. You can throw it across the room, but that's the only way you're going to make it move. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so your job is to keep the reader thinking he's moving. Mm-hmm. And and uh, um, but at the same time, you're trying to keep them moving.
0: Mm-hmm. you
2: got to slow them down or they're just going to flip through the thing and throw it away and go, oh, what I spend the money on? Mm-hmm. So our craft is one that, that makes unusual demands. We don't control time the way a filmmaker does. Right. You can just sit the camera where he wants to and you're stuck with it. But but with the comic bookers, one of the main things that we as storytellers mm-hmm. are tested at is we have to learn how to slow the reader down. There's there's several ways to achieve this. There's one really 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 common and really really bad way. Okay, the most common way used, mm-hmm. which is to pile on the words mm-hmm. so thick, but it just it just you laboriously have to through all this writing in order to get to the page right now that does slow the reader down it also tortures the reader yeah um, but the the best way to do it well then there's another way visually mm-hmm. which is to use so many separate images mm-hmm. that it, you know I, here's me turning my head 18 panels <laughs> that, you know I mean <laughs> that'll slow you down but you might not wake like up the, 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 so, that there are tricks to slow you down. But the best way, and um, the person who I think practiced it best in, in American comics, uh, using this as example, is Jeff Smith mm-hmm. with his Bone series. The best way to slow the reader down isn't to pile the words on or the pictures, it's to make the pictures so visually delightful, mm. so essentially enjoyable to look at. Mm. The owner wants to linger. It's like you're in a flower field. You want to smell each petal. It's so beautiful. Right. Jeff is the most outstanding of artists to to, to achieve that. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, and, and you know, since I've never been able to particularly charm with my drawing, mm-hmm. I try to to um, to invigorate, to 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 um, to uh, haunt, mm-hmm. and to scare. Right. But anything the motion any motion that wants you to stick around.
1: Mm.
2: But these are all things that I think as as artists and as craftsmen that are very important. And one thing that Joe in particular taught by example mm-hmm. was that, um, sure we gotta we gotta know how to draw, we gotta know how to and we gotta we gotta we've gotta um be very aware of how things make us feel and things make the readers feel. But we've also Really smart about what we do, mm. and um, especially at the stage of wanting to, uh, to to break in and wanting to be doing formative work, the important thing is to use your brain as much as you use your drawing hand. Mm. Think about every last thing you do, if you're overthinking it, you aren't.
1: Mm. So write that one down. <laughs> now, what what were your artistic influences? Um, just as far as you know how you decided to lay down you know a human figure yeah mm-hmm. well
2: anatomically mm-hmm. <laughs> well I wish there'd been more of them and they did hit sooner right, um, right. but um, in terms of anatomy the biggest influences I've had that I've had work for me um, uh, uh, and anatomist you'll find in any art store um, named George Bridgman mm-hmm. and the, the the companion who always comes with him and I'm sure the books Mm here and Sandra Loomis Loomis, Um, the two of them in a way are a wonderful um, you know two punch way to learn anatomy because because um, the the Bridgman gives you the basic machinery of the human form how it works what muscles do what the um, and and when once you learn that muscles never expand they only contract Mm -hmm. and once you learn that bones just plain don't move unless they're broken um, you're part way there. Okay. And and uh, but those those two and, and that in as much life journaling as you can do. Mm-hmm. But but it's it, it's just as important to be studying from the text as it is to drop the Okay. All right.
1: Um, okay, all right. That's a, that's really good advice. Um, what about this? I got um Joe would say, and I've heard this that Joe said there are kind of two types of students that come through the school, mm-hmm. ones that want to work for a publishing company mm-hmm. and ones that want to publish their own work. Yeah. Um, and you've kind of done really well at both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, can, you, uh, can you give uh, you know the student body, all of us you know, just a little advice as far as just kind of some of the challenges that you face. With your personal stuff, because mm-hmm. it's you know these are your babies, you know, yeah um, and you want to put it out to the world, but you want to do it in a smart way. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know? um, okay, I would say important piece of advice here. Good advice, any case. Get to know who the hell you are, because not everybody is cut kind out of to self-publish. I'm not. You might be. You know, it's it's. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm. As good as I can be at writing and drawing comic books, and um, but um, I, my entrepreneurial skills are not the greatest, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't make the best employer, mm-hmm. and I don't want to sit behind a desk giving orders when I could be drawing pictures. Mm-hmm. You know that's my decision. Right. You make your own. Some people some people are born to do it when when, um, when Dave Sim came along and, and preached the gospel of self-publishing right. he meant it because it worked for him and it worked very well yeah. I started messing around with it mm-hmm. and very quickly started going quietly insane mm-hmm. and decided it wasn't for me it was it was it was more than worth the money that went to a publisher to have somebody else do the, the boring stuff
0: mm-hmm.
2: and and wow. to and to know that there are people who live to sell our work. They're going to do a better job at selling me than I will. I mean, they wake up in the morning trying to, you know, coming up with new ways to sell my comics.
1: Yeah.
2: God bless them. They're worth some money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's good advice. I will take that <laughs> one for sure. Um, I mean, we, we hear this uh, a lot, too, just about uh, finding your own particular voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone here has heard, you know, how you were influenced by... Uh, the, the the movie or the Battle of Thermopylae. You know, yeah. And how that translated mm-hmm. years later into mm-hmm. into three hundred. Yeah. Um, which, you know, was awesome. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks. By the way, but um no, just uh, getting to that point where you do know what your voice is and you're able to just shout it out, mm-hmm. you know, without any you know, without that insecurity behind mm-hmm. it. I think this is very important. Well just to you mean just to
2: just to keep going? Yeah. And and, and not let the insecurity take over?
1: Right. Always oh, real
2: simple. Real simple. Uh-huh. Um, I made a real simple decision. I wanted to do this so much. I'd rather, I'd rather die than not do it. Mm-hmm. So That's it. what's to be afraid
1: of? I'm really scared of dying. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: proceed.
1: <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Now, uh, as when you're doing um, a personal project like that, um, how much research do you do? Um, as far as you know, historical stuff, and then I mean, because we are telling, you know, we're we're telling fantasy stories. Um, but even though you know some of the stuff is historically accurate, you know, yeah. how much, like, where do you find the the the, the balance? Well, in
2: doing the historical mm-hmm. stuff, I I uh, um. Well, in the case of three hundred, mm-hmm. you know, that's my historical work. Mm-hmm. Um. I read up on the actual battle. Right. Um, and I went to Greece, and and, okay. and took a lot of pictures, and asked a lot of people, and and uh, and walked to that, ba- you know, walked along the battlefield, oh. and and uh, um, got a lot of information just from just from local people in restaurants, in in the in the area. I mean, interestingly enough, this whole the reason it's called a Thermopylae, is the real its real name is. Really the hot days, yeah. and it's because it's because um it is it's basically full of hot springs you, know, you poke ground there and steam comes out and and uh so now it's got an ancient battlefield and um a wonderful little town that has the best sauna bass you can find anywhere because oh, wow. it's just coming out of the ground there
1: uh-huh.
2: um and and there those natives know a lot about about the battle because it's there I mean, it's what they're famous for.
1: Right, right.
2: And you got to understand, the Battle of the Hot Gates is an awful lot like what the Alamo is to Americans. Mm-hmm. It's one of those battles. It's like D-Day. It's one right. of those times when, when, when our nation or a part of it defined itself. Right. And the Alamo was when, was when the proud old South mm-hmm. was willing to 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 fight to last man. For, for, for its Confederate government. Mm-hmm. And and D-Day was when America put itself on the line for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only became a part of the world, but became a heroic part of the world. Right. So it, it's, it's a battle that's as important to Greek history mm-hmm. as those two are for
1: Americans. Wow, wow, this says a lot.
0: And there you have it. Uh, Just keep in mind that this is only the first half of a phenomenal interview. Uh, The full video of the interview is located on the Cubert School YouTube page over at Kubrick School Media. Uh, We'll have a link in the show notes. Also, you can contact me and my group over here at GeekAid at GeekAid.com. Specifically via email is mail at GeekAid.com. On the Twitters and the Facebooks and all forms of social media, just start by searching GeekAid. Me personally, on the Twitters, I'm at GeekAid underscore Evan. So if you have any comments or questions, please hit me up there. I'd love to hear from you. And with that, uh, just please check out the show notes for all the information that you possibly want. I got some links for um, the Miller video, their channel, some stuff for Lloyd because he is a very talented artist as well. So check him out and uh, show him some love. So thanks again for joining us here at Artist Avenue. See you next time.